Book One, Chapter Four of Strangers and Pilgrims by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Strangers and Pilgrims, Book One, Chapter Four. O oh, you gods, why do you make us love your goodly gifts and snatch them straight away? We here below recall not what we give and therein may vie honour with yourselves. A perfect lull in the summer winds, a sultry silence in the air, Tabor lying stilly under the beeches, dark and polished as a mirror of Damascus steel, not a bulrush on its margent, not a lily trembling on its bosom. There seemed almost a profanity in happy talk and laughter in that silent wood, where the great beeches that were crop-eared by Cromwell spread their gnarled limbs under the hot blue sky. Mr. Luttrell's party, however, do not pause in their mirth to consider the fitness of things. It boots not them to ask whether Lawborough beeches be not a scene more suited to Miltonic musings than to the consumption of lobster salad and galantine de veau. They ask each other for salt and bread and bitter ale, while the lark pierces the topmost heavens with purest melody. They set champagne corks flying against the giant beechen trunks. They revel in clotted cream and syllabub, and small talk and flirtation amid the solemn shadows of that leafy dell. And then, when they have spent nearly two hours in a business-like absorption of solids and fluids, or in playing trifling with the lightest of the viands, as the case may be, the picnickers abandon the scene of the banquet and wander away in little clusters of three or four, or in solitary couples, dispersing themselves throughout the wood, nay, even beyond, to a broad stretch of rugged heath that borders it on one side, or to the slope of a hill which shelters it on the other. Some tempt the dangers of smooth-faced Tabor in Fred Melvin's trim-built wherry, or in the punt which has conveyed a brace of Oxonians, James and Horace Elgood, the sons of one of the squires whose broad pastures border the town of Hawley. Mr. Melvin has been anxious that Elizabeth should trust herself upon that silver flood. "'You know you're fond of boating,' he pleads, "'and if you haven't seen much of the table this way, it's worth your while to come. The banks are a picture, no end of flowers.' I know a bank whereon the wild thyme grows, and that kind of thing. One would think Shakespeare had taken his notion from hereabouts. Oh, as if the Avon had no thymey banks, exclaimed Elizabeth contemptuously. I don't care about boating this afternoon, thank you, Mr. Melvin. I'm going for a walk. She glanced at Malcolm Ford as she spoke, almost pleadingly, as if she would have said, Give me one idle hour of your life. They had sat apart at the banquet, Gertrude having contrived to keep the curate at her side. They had travelled from Hawley in different carriages, and had exchanged hardly half a dozen sentences up to this stage of the entertainment. It seemed to Elizabeth as if they were fated never to be together. Already she began to think the picnic a failure. "'I only wanted it for the sake of being with him,' she said to herself hopelessly. And here was that empty-headed Fred Melvin worrying her to go in his boat, while Malcolm Ford stood by, leaning against the grey trunk of a pollard willow, listlessly gazing at the river, and said never a word. 
let ford punt you down the river as far as the weir cried one of the oxonians coming unconsciously to her relief there's an empty punt lying idle yonder the one that brought the towers party and ford was one of the best punters at oxford mr ford had gone up to his degree at a late stage of his existence after he left the army and his repute was known to these youngsters there's nothing like a punt in this kind of weather miss luttrell said the oxonian as he rolled up his shirt-sleeves and prepared himself to convey a boatload of young ladies in voluminous muslin skirts such a nice lazy way of getting along he stood up high above his freight plunged his pole deep into the quiet water and skimmed athwart the river with a slow noiseless motion soothing to see upon a summer afternoon while elizabeth was silently blessing him mr ford did at last awake from his reverie well, shall i get the punt he asked and will you come i should like it of all things she answered gently she was not going to hazard the loss of this perfect happiness by any ill-timed coquetry yes it was perfect happiness to be with him she acknowledged as much as that to herself if she did not acknowledge any more i suppose i think so much of him simply because he thinks nothing of me she said to herself musingly while mr ford had gone a little way down the bank to fetch the punt he came back presently with his coat off and his sleeves rolled up like the oxonians skilfully navigating his rude bark with lengthy vigorous arms that had pulled in the university eight it was the first time that elizabeth had seen him on the river and she wondered a little to find him master of this secular accomplishment he brought the broad stem of the punt against the bank at her feet wouldn't your sister blanche like to go with us he asked looking round in quest of that young lady but blanche had gone off in the wherry with the melvin set miss pooley the doctor's daughter the miss cumdens the rich manufacturer's daughters captain danvers and mr pincent shrill laughter sounded from the reedy shores beyond the sharp curve of the river even james elgood's punt was out of sight they had the river all to themselves utter loneliness seemed to have come upon the scene the sound of that shrill laughter dwindled and died away and these two stood alone in the sweet summer silence between sunlight and shadow on the brink of the deep still table elizabeth lingered on the bank doubtful whether it would not be the properer course to wait for some stray reveller to join them before she took her place in the boat a tete-a-tete -tete excursion with mr ford would entail sundry lectures from gertrude a general sense of disapproval perhaps in her small world but malcolm ford stretched out his strong arm and calmly handed her into the punt it was quite a luxurious kind of boat as punts go provided with a red cushion on one of the broad clumsy seats and a tin vessel for bailing out unnecessary water she seated herself in the stern and they drifted away slowly softly over the still blue water it was the first time they had been together and alone since the morning when she called upon him at his lodgings for some time there was silence sweet silence only broken by the hum of insect life around them and the skylark's song in the clear vault above the navigation of a punt is not a very difficult business 
but it requires some attention and tabor's windings involved some small amount of care in the navigation this made a fair excuse for mr ford's silence and elizabeth was content content to watch the dark thoughtful face the firmly cut profile the deep grey eyes grave almost to severity content to ponder on his life wondering if it were hard work and careful thought for others that had blanched the ruddier tints from his somewhat sunken cheek or whether he was by nature pale wondering if that grave dignity which made him different from the common race of curates were in earnest a future eminence if he were verily born to greatness and a bishopric awaiting him in the days to come wondering idly about this thing and that her fancies playing round him like the flickering shadows on his figure as the boat shot under the trees and she supremely content to be in his company perhaps since she had more than all a woman's faults and weaknesses it may have been some gratification to her to consider that this boating excursion would occasion some jealous twinges in the well-ordered mind of her eldest sister gertrude has such a way of appropriating people she said to herself and i really believe mr ford considers her a paragon the navigation grew easier by and by as tabor became less weedy the banks now high and broken now sloping gently were rich in varying beauty but it was not of wild flowers or shivering rushes that elizabeth thought in that slow summer voyage the banks slid by like pictures gently shifting as she looked now a herd of lazy kine fetlock deep in the odorous aftermath and then a little copse of ancient hawthorn and then a silvery creek darkly shadowed here and there by drooping willows that had grown aslant the stream she was faintly conscious of these things and felt a vague delight in them but her thoughts were all of malcolm ford did you ever hear that story of andrew marvell's father he said at last breaking that lazy silence which had seemed only a natural element of the warm summer afternoon there was a straight stretch of water now before him so he laid down his pole and seated himself in the bows with a pair of skulls he was a hull man you know and a clergyman and he was going across the humber to marry a couple in lincolnshire he was seized with a strange presentiment on stepping into the boat and flung his walking-stick ashore crying ho for heaven the presage was not a false one for old marvel was drowned the story came into my mind just now when we left the bank and i couldn't help feeling that it would be a pleasant way of solving the problem of life to shoot midstream at random crying out ho for heaven like that old puritan parson it would be very nice if heaven could be reached so easily said elizabeth who had a feeling that for her the pilgrimage from this world to a better one must needs be difficult she had never yet felt herself heavenly minded of the earth earthy rather with mundane longings for an opera box and a barouche and pair but i did not think you were tired of life mr ford she added after a little pause not exactly tired but at times perplexed i sometimes doubt whether i am doing much good in hawley whether indeed i am doing anything that a man of less energy and ambition might not do just as well 
you feel like an eagle doing the work of a crow she answered smiling i can fancy that hawley must seem a narrow field for you when you've persuaded people to decorate the churches and attend the early services and taught the choir to sing a little better and bought surplices for the boys it seems as if there was nothing left for you to do i should think in a populous seaport now where there are narrow streets and a great many wicked people you would have a wider sphere there might be more to do in a place of that kind he said thoughtfully it wouldn't seem quite so much like a gardener's work in a trim smooth garden always going over the same flower beds dragging up a little weed here and there or cutting a withered branch but that is not my dream the field of action that i have thought about and longed for lies far away from england he was looking not at elizabeth but above her head along the shining river as if he did indeed with his bodily eyes behold that wider land that distant world of which he spoke elizabeth grew pale with horror you surely don't mean that you have ever thought of turning missionary she exclaimed that has been my thought sometimes when my work here has seemed wasted labour she was inexpressibly shocked the very idea was disagreeable to her there was even a kind of commonness in her mind in the image of a missionary she imagined him a low church person not very far removed from a dissenter a man who let his hair grow long and was indifferent as to the fashion of his garments such a man as she had heard hold forth in short trousers and thick boots at a meeting for the propagation of the gospel she did not imagine that the commonness was in her own mind which could not perceive the width and grandeur in that sublime idea of gathering all the nations into one flock it had never occurred to her that south sea islanders were of any importance in the scheme of creation that university men in this privileged quarter of the globe owed any duty to dusky heathens dancing strange dances in distant groves of palm and breadfruit trees under a hot blue sky oh i hope you'll never think of such a desperate thing she said with a little piteous look that touched him strangely it seems a kind of moral suicide oh, say rather a second birth he answered the beginning of a new and wider life a life worth living you must care very little for anyone on this side of the world when you can talk so calmly of going to the other i have very few to care for he replied gravely my family ties are represented by a bachelor uncle in aberdeenshire a grim old man who farms a wild sheep walk of five thousand acres or so and lives in a lonely homestead where he hears few sounds except the lowing of his kine and the roar of the german ocean i think i'm just the right kind of man for a missionary and if you knew the story of my life and the circumstance that led to my change of profession i fancy you would agree with me but i know nothing of your life elizabeth cried impatiently she was unreasonably angry with him for this missionary project almost as angry as if it had been a deliberate wrong done to herself 
you came to us a stranger and you have remained a stranger to us though you have been at hawley more than a year you are so reserved not like papa's other curates who are only too glad to pour out their inmost feelings as it were i am sure i knew every detail of mr dysart's family his papa's opinion his mamma's little peculiarities the colour of all his sister's hair even the history of the gentlemen to whom the sisters were engaged and it was almost the same with mr horton mr adderley was fonder of prosing about himself than his surroundings and i don't think the poor young man ever had an idea in his rather narrow brain that he did not impart to us you see i am not of so communicative a disposition said mr ford smiling and when there has been one great sorrow in a life as there has in mine it is apt to assume an unnatural proportion to the rest and obscure all minor details i had a great loss five years before i came to hawley i have often been inclined to tell you all about it especially of late since i have seen your character in its most amiable light but these things are painful to speak of and my loss was a very bitter one you are speaking of the death of your mother inquired elizabeth trembling a little with a strange sharp dread oh no no my mother died fifteen years ago that loss was bitter but it was one for which i had been long prepared the latter loss was utterly unexpected and shattered the very fabric of my life i should like to hear about it said elizabeth her face bent over the water one idle hand drawn loosely through the tide i am assured that you are kind and sympathetic he said or i should never have touched upon this subject i never had a sister and perhaps on that account have not acquired the habit of confession but um very slowly and with a curious hesitation i think i should like to talk to you about her about alice fraser the woman who was to have been my wife the face bent over the river flushed crimson the little white hand shivered in the tide but elizabeth spoke no word when i went to india with my regiment it was just after the mutiny i left my promised wife behind me we were old friends had been playfellows even though the little scottish lassie was seven years younger than i she was the daughter of a scotch parson a man of noble mind and widest reading and the best friend and counsellor i ever had i will not try to tell you what she was like to me she seemed perfection pretty enough to be charming full of brightness and vivacity yet with a depth and earnestness in her nature that made me her senior by seven years feel that here was a staff to lean upon through all the journey of life i cannot tell you how i revered this girl of nineteen you will perhaps think that she was self-opinionated or what people call strong-minded but there was never a more simple unassuming nature she had been educated by her father and on a wider plan than the common scheme of a woman's teaching of late years she had shared his studies and had been his chosen companion in every hour of leisure 
of her goodness to the people round about her i cannot trust myself to speak her memory is cherished in lanorgie as the memory of a saint i doubt if among all who knew her well in that simple flock there is one who could speak of her even now without tears he paused for some few minutes perhaps lost in thought recalling that remote scottish village and the sweet girlish face that had been the delight of his life six years ago the oars dipped gently in the river the boat glided on with imperceptible motion and elizabeth sat silent with her face still bent over the water dragging the long green river weeds through her cold white fingers she had the very slight a scottish accent an accent that gave a plaintive tone to her voice like music in a minor key she was slender and fragile just about the middle height very fair but very pale with soft brown hair the sort of woman a painter would choose for imogen or ophelia not an objective nature strongly marked with its own individuality subjective rather yet strong enough to resist all evil a bad husband might have broken her heart but he would never have sullied her mind he stopped again laid down his skulls and drew the boat under the reedy bank elizabeth was obliged to look up now the little grey straw hat with its convenient shadow hid the change in her face in some measure but not entirely for mr ford observed that she was very pale i fear you're tired he said or that my dreary talk has wearied you oh no no go on she must have been very good she had less of humanity's alloy than any creature i ever knew he answered i used to think that it would be a privilege for any man the best even to spend his life in her company there was one subject that gave her great pain and that was the fact of my profession to her gentle spirit there was something horrible in a soldier's career she could not see the nobler side of my calling and i loved her too well to hold by anything that gave her pain i promised her that i would sell out immediately on my return from foreign service and i kept my word it was not of your own accord then that you left the army asked elizabeth absently as if only half her brain were following his words oh no no it was entirely to please alice i sacrificed my own inclinations in the matter that conviction which has become the very keystone of my life since then is a faith that grew out of my great sorrow i cannot tell you the rest of the story too briefly i went back to lanorgie a free man i was to be a farmer a country gentleman on a small scale anything alice pleased in the district where i was born my sweet girl was to live forever among the people she loved our life was to be arcadian a pastoral poem we were both very happy i can safely declare that there was not left in my mind one spark of mankind's common desire of success or distinction the long calm years stretched themselves out before me in sweet eventless happiness you must have loved her very much 
oh if you could measure my love by the change it made in me you would have good reason to say so i had been as eager as other young men for name position wealth and pleasure perhaps even more eager but alice's love filled my mind with a great content she made herself the sun of my life i desired nothing beyond the peaceful circle of the home that she and i were to share together well miss latterall this with a sudden abruptness as if the words were wrenched from him it was a common trouble enough when it came our wedding day was fixed her old father every one was happy the last touch had been put to our new home a house i had built for my darling upon a hillside facing the sea on my own land everything was arranged our honeymoon trip southwards to the cumberland lakes had been planned between us on the map one sweet summer evening we parted at her father's door she a little graver than usual but that seemed natural on the threshold of so great a change when i went to the manse next morning they told me that she was not quite well that her father's old friend the village doctor recommended her to keep a room for a day or two and to see no one she had had a little too much excitement and fatigue lately i reproached myself bitterly for our long walks on the hills and by the rugged seashore that we both loved so well all she wanted was perfect rest they kept me off like this for nearly a week now confessing reluctantly that she was not quite so well now cheering me with the assurance that she was better then one morning i heard that they had sent to glasgow for a physician after that i insisted upon seeing her she did not know me i stood beside her bed and the sweet blue eyes looked up at me but she was unconscious the physician acknowledged that it was a case of typhoid fever there was very little ground for hope yet we did hope blindly to the last i telegraphed for other doctors but we could not save her she died in my arms at daybreak on the day that was to have seen us married i will not speak of the dead blank that followed her death of the miserable time in which i could think of nothing but the one fact of my loss the time came at last when i could think of her more calmly and then i set myself to consider what i could do now that she was gone to prove that i had loved her what tribute i could render to my dead it was then i thought of entering the church of devoting myself so far as in me lay to the good of others of leading such a life as she would have blessed that is the origin of all i have done of all i hope to do that is the end of my story miss luttrell i trust i have not tired you very much i thought we should be better friends if you knew more about my past i am very glad she answered gently i have sometimes fancied there must be something in your life some sorrowful memory not that there's ever seemed anything gloomy in your character but you are so much more in earnest altogether so unlike papa's other curates a faint blush lit up the pale face as she said this remembering that he differed most widely from these gentlemen in his total inability to appreciate herself 
yes she had fancied there was some bitter memory in his past but not this his confidence had strangely shocked her it was inexpressibly painful to her to discover that his love and so profound a love had all been lavished upon another woman years ago that were she elizabeth luttrell twice as lovely twice as fascinating as she was she could never be anything to him he had chosen his type of womanly perfection he had given away all the feeling all the passion that it was in him to give long before he had seen her face did he suppose that that i was beginning to think too much of him she said to herself blushing indignantly and tell me this story by way of warning no no his manner was too straightforward for that he thinks that i am good thinks that i am able to sympathise with him to pity him to be sorry for that dead girl and i am not i think i am jealous of her in her grave the boat glides softly on they come to a curve in the river and to mr melvin's party returning noisily oh you're not going to take miss elizabeth any farther are you cries frederick we're going back to tea how slow you've been we went as far as the bells and had some shandy gaff mr ford turned his clumsy bark and all the voyage back was noisy with the talk of the melvin party and the oxonian's puntload of vivacious humanity they were all in holiday spirits laughing on the faintest provocation at the smallest imaginable jokes elizabeth thought it the most dismal business all the sunshine was taken out of her afternoon tabor seemed a sullen stream flowing between flat weedy banks but she could not afford to let other people perceive her depression mr ford above all she was obliged to affect amusement at these infinitesimal jokes those stale witticisms while she was thinking all the time of that thrice blessed woman whom malcolm ford had loved and who had timely died while his passion was yet in its first bloom and freshness <laughs> i dare say if she'd gone on living he would have been tired of her by this time she said to herself in a cynical mood she would have been his wife of ever so many years standing with a herd of small children perhaps on her mind and just as commonplace as all the wives one knows women whose intellects hardly soar above nursemaids and pinafores how much better to be a sacred memory of his life than a prosaic fact in his everyday existence after this elizabeth felt as if she could have no more pleasure in malcolm ford's society her selfish soul revolted against the idea that the memory of his dead was more to him than any favour her friendship could bestow that she was divided from him by the width of a grave i wish his alice had lived and he had stayed among his native hills with the rest of the scotch barbarians she said to herself i don't think i've been quite happy since i've known him he makes one feel such a contemptible creature with his grand ideas of what a woman ought to be and then after one has tried one's hardest to be good against one's very nature he coolly informs one that there never was but one perfect woman in the world and that she lies among the scottish hills with his heart buried in her grave 
End of chapter 4